Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat, a show where I interview business executives, talent development professionals, and thought leaders to find out what has been successful and challenging in the world of talent development. My objective is to share ideas, valuable lessons, tools, advice, and trends. My hope is that all of this will ultimately help you, the listener, expand your knowledge, grow your career, and accelerate your success as a talent development professional. Welcome back to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I am so grateful that you are joining me today for an interview with my new friend, Crystal Kadakia. And Crystal is a two-time TEDx speaker and is known for her thought leadership on evolving workplace culture for a digital world. Through her best-selling book, The Millennial Myth and Keynotes, Crystal has changed the story around the generational gap for thousands over the last seven years. Her forthcoming books include The Day of the Digital Warrior, A Self-Leadership Guide to Create Connection, Escape Burnout and Overcome Other Challenges Unique to the Digital Age and Learning Cluster Design, How Millennials, Media and Mobility Are Reinventing the Training Industry. She's honored to be a Power 30 Under 30 CLO Learning and Practice and ATD One to Watch Award recipient. And uh, she comes from an engineering background, interesting, moving into this learning and development space. And uh, I'm excited to get into some of these topics. So Crystal, welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. Thanks so much, Andy. Really glad to be here. Yeah, great to have you on, and uh, we a unique connection because I met your husband at a at a conference, a podcasting conference uh, in Orlando back in February, and he made the connection, and I was just so impressed with everything that you've accomplished, especially at a young age. And I know that you've done a lot of work around generational stuff in the workplace, and I want to talk a little bit about that, but also have been studying uh, the future of work, which is something I am infinitely interested in and love having conversations about. So we'll talk about that today too. But before we do, maybe we can start with you sharing a little bit of your background and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, it's been quite a bit of a journey. As you mentioned, I have a background in engineering. So that's pretty different right off the bat. I don't think a lot of people in the talent space realize that when they talk about oh, having to work with those engineering people or you know what it's like teaching social skills to engineers that they're talking about me. <laughs> I don't think they really envision that. So right. um, I started out my career uh, as a chemical engineer, spent about seven years working for Fortune 500. And during that time, I realized that I'm not just any problem solver. I constantly kept on gravitating towards people problems you know, machine would be broken over here. And I was the one trying to solve the machine issue, but also asking, 
well, how are we doing as a team on this? You know, what's the process we're using and how is that serving us? And so in those days, I really didn't know that there was an entire field dedicated toward thinking about people and business and how do we change? How do we grow together? How do we empower capabilities for change? And so over some time I was there, I ended up transitioning to a training manager role and eventually started hearing a lot about millennials. So even though I hadn't heard about this field with people strategy, I found myself in this situation where where there was a need. There was a need for someone to come in and really start demystifying what's going on with this transition, with this big shift we were all experiencing. And so I left my corporate career, uh, that was now seven years ago, and I started my own consulting firm and really started with speaking. Um, at this point in time, there was a lot of buzz around millennials, but no one really to invest in this, in this problem, so to speak. And so I was doing a lot of speaking, changing the conversation, and I had a very different approach to it. And that was that, hey, we're not just dealing with the generation gap. We're dealing with an innovation gap. Look, guys, you can't uninvent the internet. You just can't, right? You can't uninvent what brought Andy and I together through these weird channels, these weird connections that are now possible today. So you're not just talking about millennials. You're talking about Gen Z. You're talking about Gen AA, Gen B, whatever we're calling them. And we really need to understand how we as a, as a corporate culture, as a business culture, are dealing with this innovation gap called digital? And what is that doing to us as a workplace culture? So I eventually got my master's in organization development. I finally found a name for this field <laughs> that I've been, I've been looking for is where's my home? Where's my tribe? And that's really been it. And um, since then, I've moved on from talking and studying of millennial behavior to really looking at the transition from the industrial age to the, to the digital age and, and what are the assumptions that we need to constantly be questioning right now? Yeah, and such interesting topics. If you work in talent development, you know that your job has become more important than ever. The problem is there's so much uncertainty and noise out in the business world and things are changing so fast, it's hard to know where to go and what tools and resources to use to solve your problems. That's why I recently launched the Talent Development Think Tank community as a central and safe place to access information, ask questions, and talk with other L&D professionals like you so that you can achieve your goals and accelerate your career. Join today to get instant access to our online platform and community of ambitious, helpful talent development professionals who understand your world and can help you solve your problems. Right now, I'm offering 25% off the subscription price to podcast listeners. Just go to talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT for 25% off. That's talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT. Thanks, and on to the episode. I want to go back to where you left your job and went out on your own to get in consulting and speaking. Uh, a big and bold move that a lot of people think about but don't really make. And maybe this is a selfish question because I'm really just asking for myself. But I know there are a lot of listeners out there in talent development who do a little bit of work on the side, would like to do a little bit of consulting or speaking as well. How did you jump right in and start getting speaking gigs? Was it the topic? Was it the way you marketed yourself? Because this is not necessarily easy to do. 
Yeah, so there's two really big themes to this answer. The first is hunger. And the second is experimentation. And, you know, with experimentation comes evolution, right? So for me, in the corporate time, not only was I being an engineer, transitioning to training management, I started having all these health issues. And I started realizing that there's something that the corporate workplace is is designed for that I'm not designed for. And, you know, when you think about it, this, this actually led a lot to a lot of my curiosities with the workplace. You know, the nature of work we're doing has totally changed. And for me to be in meetings from 8.30 to 4 straight, trying to be strategic at the same time, you know, often I would just be working after hours, really trying to process all that information. And I'm very good at what I do, but I need to have a strong why. I need to have a strong clarity on the picture. That's just my strengths. That's how I operate. And when I couldn't get that time, I literally started having health issues. So this is something I share widely with people because a lot of people are very good at ignoring those little body triggers. Well, for me, I didn't ignore it. I couldn't. And it became a hunger. Like, hey, you know, you need to leave. You need to create a lifestyle that's healthy for you. And you, by God, you are going to make this work. You're going to make a business work because it's, it's a necessity. But the other part of it is a, a really big okayness with experimentation. And for two years, I was starting some things on the side. As you mentioned, a lot of people do that. But I was very clear on not holding on to one way that the business had to be or had to work. At the end of the day, you got to go with where the market's going. And when millennials cropped up as a big buzzword, ultimately, my passion is in future of work and how we engage with digital technology. But millennials is what people were talking about. Could I connect the two? Absolutely. Could I serve value by connecting the two? Absolutely. Is that what people would pay me for? More than if I had said, I want to talk about your relationship with digital tech seven years ago, because people weren't even having that conversation. Right. You got to be willing to flex and you got to have the hunger to the drive to really take some risks and, and deal with ambiguity. A lot of people can't deal with the ambiguity. Yeah. And not knowing where things are going. So you had a purpose and a little bit of a vision of where you wanted to go, but you're very flexible in how you're going to get there, willing to try a lot of different things. And so you got into consulting speaking. You also wrote a book and uh, that's something a lot of other people, you know, myself included, think about doing, but know there's a lot of work that goes into that. So what was the impetus for writing this book, The Millennial Myth, and, and what went into putting that together? Yeah, great question. My journey with The Millennial Myth, I had been talking about this subject for about four years. And I had a, a mentor of mine who, she had been published through Barrett Kohler. Her name's Jennifer Conweiler, and she does a lot of work in the introvert space. And, you know, we would meet and she, she finally just said, you know, you really need to write this book. And I go, what are you talking about? What book are you talking about? And she goes, the one you're, you know, you're constantly coaching me on. Um, you need to write that. And I go, I don't even know where to start with that. You know, she was really a champion. And I think finding your champions with existing authors is a really great way to start to navigate that publishing world because she was able to create a direct connection for me. You know, even though we live in this world of global relationships, you can still experience what I call local intimacy. And I think that's what Jennifer and I really 
had and also leverage to make this connection happen. So these publishers out in California got a chance to really get to know me, even if I don't live in the same space or I didn't move to San Fran to pitch myself to a billion editors. No, we just made this connection and it it went from there. In terms of the process for writing The Millennial Myth, I think it really helped that I'd been speaking and dialoguing about the topic for a number of years because you know, I already had a lot of the thoughts percolating behind the scenes. And it really became an exercise in organizing and framing and, and mapping these different concepts, you know, in a way that could be understood and of value to readers. And that's where being an engineer just left brain kicks right in. You know, you draw your little mind maps and you draw your little outline and you're like, okay, this seems really powerful. And the other thing I'll say that's really important for anyone considering to write a book is to really think about what environment's going to serve you, serve your creativity, serve your flow state. Because I, I was just talking to a colleague the other day who wants to write a book, and he is talking about how he was trying to schedule in three hours a week at least to work on his book. And I told him, I, I said, you know, just because you have a full-time job doesn't mean you have to structure writing a book like it's your full-time job. And I told him what worked for me is really setting aside immersive time for me to focus in an environment that was creative, you know, that was kind of disconnected. I still had my laptop, but a lot of times I'll do really stupid things. Like I'll set up a tent in my backyard and just go lay out there when I want to work on something really creative because indoors just doesn't cut it for me. Um, I'll take a couple showers in a day to let thoughts percolate. Um, and that kind of thing. And so, you know, even if I don't write regularly, I'll set aside, you know, in this two-day block, I'm going to write. And at the end of the day, The Millennial Myth took me one month to write the first draft. Wow. And again, part of it was necessity. I, I had no travel during that one month. And then the travel started right back up again. So I was like, yeah. four to six weeks, I'm going to have to get this book done. What does my environment need to look like for me to do that? That's impressive. Okay, so what is in this book? What is the millennial myth? And what are some of the key lessons that um, companies need to take away from this? Yeah, so in the book, I address the top five complaints that I've heard over and over again about millennials and even Gen Z, that they're lazy, they're entitled, they're the trophy generation, they need constant praise, um, they have issues with hierarchy, they're disloyal. And what I do is, I think it's pretty cool. Obviously, I'm the author, so I get to say that. But I I think it's pretty cool. I look at these complaints from the angles, two different angles, two different perspectives. And arguably, there's more than just two, of course. But I look at it from growing up in an industrial age and growing up in a digital age. And I look at how fundamentally different generations can look at the exact same behavior and come to completely different conclusions about it. One person calls lazy, another might call my experiment with productivity. What one person calls issues with hierarchy and and skirting hierarchy, someone else might look at and say, no, I've got a different idea of diversity and inclusion than you do. And so I look at these different perspectives and then I, I close each chapter by looking at what's value add in both of those perspectives. And so for leaders who are reading the book, they can start thinking about, hey, we've got all these different perspectives in our organization, but how can we learn from um, where we've been 
and where we're headed to intentionally create some organizational initiatives. So how are we thinking about diversity, inclusion, and hierarchy today? You know, not just doing things the way it's always been done, but what can we learn from these differing perspectives for how we want to have it be for tomorrow? What can we learn from trophy generation ideas around feedback versus learning? What it means, what it looks like for our personal growth when we have that type of information coming in. So I really look at it from a, let's demystify, let's pour some water on, let's diffuse some of this generational conflict by creating understanding. And then second part of it is really think about, hey, what's some food for thought for you on what you want to change in your organization as a result of this new understanding? Yeah, I like that. And I have heard all those things as well. I've been, you know, facilitating workshops all over the world for the last eight years. And I used to, I don't hear it as much as I used to, um, you know, a few years ago where I'd be working with, say, senior managers at a a professional services firm who are all Gen X. And, you know, something comes up and the millennial bashing begins, you know, right? They're entitled. they, They don't work as hard. They're lazy. Um, we hear all that stuff. So, and I think that's changed already. And so, all the more reason for you to be shifting your focus, right, to more of the future of work. Uh, but it sounds like the, the biggest key there is perspective and understanding both sides, and that, you know, we're all people and everybody wants to succeed and move up in their career and provide value. They just do it different ways, right, based on how they grew up and where, what age they grew up in. Exactly. And, you know, it's interesting that you, that you bring up how the conversation's changing because it, it absolutely is. And there's, you know, there's residual baggage now that's been built up in the system. So the new thing for me is when I when I'm asked to give talks on demystifying millennials, which I still am, I've had um, managers come up to me and tell me how they actually have an issue with Generation Z coming in and millennial bashing because they've heard so much about millennials that they'll now say, the new hire will come up and say, oh, well, you know, you don't have to worry about me. I'm, I'm not like those millennials. <laughs> <laughs> so that's like a, you know, it, there is this residual, you know, just baggage and, and BS that's yeah. built up. So it's still certainly a challenge, but I, for one, am so happy to see that the conversation has shifted towards, well, hey, how do we just move on from all of the stereotyping, all the complaints to something more productive. Yeah. And, it, and it's always changing. It's always shifting. Right. And I think that I haven't been around, you know, that long, a little bit longer than you, but I feel like for decades, people have been complaining about the younger generation coming into the workforce, not working the same way they do, right. Not adapting to their way because they have their own ways of working. And the fact is, and I've heard the best, the smartest leaders on this say that, you know, it's not about millennials or Gen Z, whoever it is, adapting to the way business is done. It's about business adapting to them because they are the future of work, right? Exactly. Exactly. There's a lot of intentionality with that culture change because you can't abandon the current culture. It's kind mm. of possible. We can never ignore that. It's always going to be there, but it's how are we shifting it? That's the important question. Right. This episode of the Talent Development Hot Seat is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is the first place to call when you need leaders to lead, sellers to sell, and your business to flourish. We specialize in connecting organizations with exceptional learning solutions to help them turn strategy into action and get their people doing the best work of their lives. And we're also 
proud to be providing tons of great content and inspiration to you and everyone out there during troubled times. You can go to advantageperformance.com to find any of our weekly webinars, insights, white papers, and blogs we've been putting out to help you survive and thrive during challenging times. That website, again, is advantageperformance.com. And now back to the show. Okay. So things are always shifting. They're always changing. And the future of work is a topic that I'm hearing coming up more and more. I've done a few interviews on it. Uh, I'm endlessly fascinated by this. And you know, in theory, there's never not been a future of work, right? Like there's always a future. But we know that things are changing faster now than they ever have before. And they're going to continue accelerating at a faster rate. So you're writing a book on this. You're actually writing two books right now. Uh, I guess you don't have enough to do. So what does that look like? And um, why is it that you're now shifting focus to this future of work? Yeah, great questions. Um, One, I have way too many thoughts. I always have a lot to do, but I have way too many thoughts and I have way too much desire to, you know, just for myself. And then I think because I believe it serves the community to articulate all of those thoughts and map them out. Um, Maybe that's the engineer in me still trying to make sense of the world. The future of work, I mean, it is such an incredibly huge topic. And yes, there's always been a future. But I think what's so interesting about the times we live in is the accelerating change, but really the globalization aspect. So how complex challenges have gotten, how overlapping between communities, you know, you can no longer stay in your own bubble. And if you look at in the past, if you look at the history of organizations, if you look at society, you know, we might have started at a tribe level way back when. And now, you know, in a tribe level, you're just concerned with the group dynamics of the tribe. But then as we got, you know, further and further along, built cities, we got into our industrial age, you start managing massive corporations. And that created this whole whole field around scientific management. It created organization development, all these kinds of things. And we realized the challenges of managing so many people, so many workflows, so much work process. And today where we're headed is really in being able to manage trans-organization collaborations. And that's because we have challenges that now are not just within one organization, but really spanning government, education, corporations. So when I think about the future of work, there's a lot of need. And what's really interesting to me, um, the reason why I'm in that space is because I don't see us walking into that space with a lot of consciousness. I see a lot of subconsciousness, a lot of lack of self-awareness in this space. I see a lot of companies continually being driven by profit motives, not really thinking about what it is they're creating or unleashing into society. And specifically, I am talking about technology companies. I think when technology companies started, no blame, no fault of theirs, right? But we're all driven by Wall Street. That's ultimately what you're thinking about business growth. So business growth for a technology company comes from greater digital consumption. Well, digital consumption changes neurology. 
you know, it changes human behavior. Right. And that's a huge accountability possibility that hasn't been at the forefront of technology companies' minds. And it's only just now emerging as a conversation in this space. And a lot of it's due to political happenings, right? So we talk about fake news. We talk about the algorithms we now see on Facebook and so on and what impact that has on us. And the question there is what responsibility do companies have to give humanity technology that empowers us versus disempower us? And so this is what's really interesting to me about the future of work. And this is the area I'm really spending a lot of my time talking about consulting in is trying to bring that self-awareness, whether we're talking at the individual level, the team level, or even the organization culture level of, hey, how is digital technology shaping your everyday? How are you bringing it into training? How are you bringing it into inclusion? Are you inviting it in? Or are you pretending like, hey, we're still in the industrial age, we don't have those tools? You know, there's so many aspects to this. There's the, are you being left behind and not evolving question? Or there's the, are you just jumping on the bandwagon, right? Adapting to every technology, not even thinking about how this is going to impact your organization. And I'm trying to play in the middle. Like, hey, you need to evolve, but evolve with consciousness. Yeah. Don't, you know, don't just bring in the next technology. Don't bring in VR without thinking about privacy. Don't tie VR to performance management. This is a conversation I was just recently in is, you know, don't tie VR, virtual reality to performance management without thinking twice about it. And that one, I just have to say this really quick because it, it just strikes me as so funny. But people are bringing in virtual reality because they're like, well, millennials need fun training and this is a fun way to go about it. And then they're like, well, let me now measure your performance based on how you do in this virtual reality setting and then decide whether to promote you or let you go or whatever. Well, that doesn't sound like fun at all. No. Now you're actually making people scared to learn. So it's, it's very interesting to me who is in, involved in shaping these technologies in the workplace. Are you involving people strategists? Are you involving organization development consultants? Who are you involving? Or is it just the software developers, which I love software developers, but we need the expertise that's been honed and built over time that we all have in talent development in human professions married to that technology imperative. Yeah. You can hear my passion for this. Sorry, I'll, I'll go off on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you obviously uh, have a little bit of interest in this. Um, I do as well. And there's so much to unpack there. Uh, I'm you know, fascinated by this balance. You mentioned you know, social consciousness. And of course, companies mostly still being driven by profits. And some companies are much more socially conscious these days. But technology companies, especially, people don't think about it. We all have these smartphones in our hands. And everyone at companies are, are tied to these and the technology companies who make them, whether it's Apple or Samsung, or the companies that make the apps like Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and uh, Microsoft, they all are motivated to create things that are as addicting as possible so that we're always using, using, consuming more and more. And yet we're finding there may be you know, a lot of psychological different. Uh, consequences, right? Or health consequences that could come from this. So how do they balance that? And how do companies that are interested in, in wellness for their employees help employees uh, develop a healthy 
uh, habit or addiction, I guess you will, to technology so that it's not completely taken over their lives. I'm waiting for a profit model that's disruptive. You know, that's the next disruption I'm looking for is a profit model that's not based around consumption. Because consumption isn't, I can't imagine that it's our only possibility on the planet for, for profit. I actually really love a lot of the things Microsoft is doing specifically because I think that they're thinking very intentionally about how do we empower humanity through tech. I just did a, a tour of their headquarters last year and really is just, this isn't like a promotional thing. For me, it was just research. And I was really intrigued by how they're redirecting their efforts towards thinking about intentional technology. So, you know, instead of notifications, they're really championing for what they call nudges, which is in-app or in-program assistance, AI assistance, rather than when you're out of an app bothering you with, hey, this has come up. And they've even told their employees to turn off their notifications um, because it's such a distraction for people, um, which I think is fantastic. You know, I think that they're just, they're thinking a lot about how can we think about people, for example, with uh, disabilities differently. And I think a lot of this is led by their, their CEO, Satya Nadella, Nadella, who has uh, children who have different abilities. And I think that that's really interesting to me is how a leader's really taking his personal circumstances and bringing it into the work. Because we all talk about humanizing work and what that means for the future of work. And I think Satya is really doing that, really showing that because we have to bring our whole selves. And I think a lot of industrial age leaders might say, oh, that's something you shouldn't be doing. But I think that's very value add. And, and, you know, so he's doing things like on PowerPoints, they've got an auto translate feature now where as a speaker, which, you know, I'm a speaker, I, I love this feature. You can just click a button and have what you're saying on a microphone translated with auto captions when you're speaking real time um, into, into I, I can't remember, but it's at least, you know, 16, 20 languages. So, you know, just things like that. That's really, wow, that's empowering. Yeah, You know, that's really empowering. So I think there's examples of this in, in, in different places, but I think some companies are, they do it as an afterthought and some companies are doing it from the outset, which I, I think is really important. Well, it is interesting that, you know, you mentioned Sacha Nadella who's taken over as CEO a few years ago at Microsoft and completely turned things around and not only taking more of a uh, socially conscious and human view of things, but that has translated the profits, you know, and, and revenue and, stock price as well, because as you and I record this right now, this may change. Microsoft is the most valuable company in the world. They are the biggest company in the world, bigger than Apple and Amazon, followed by Alphabet. And then Facebook is right in there as well. So these are all technology companies that are kind of at the top of the heap. And they're also creating more and more technology, a lot of it addictive. And your new book is about how to kind of navigate this digital age and avoid burnout. Right. So for people that are listening who are, say, working in talent development and trying to create a, a productive and healthy workforce, what are some things they should be thinking about to help their employees be productive and healthy and avoid burnout in this increasingly digital age? Yeah, so great question. I think um, the premise behind the book, the context is really in realizing that things that used to be separated by time and space 
are no longer separated. So things like getting information, we now can have all the time, right, from our smartphone. Things like connecting with other people, communication is happening all the time. You don't have to wait for the envelope in the mailbox to be able to communicate to someone or leave a voicemail and think that, okay, I can get back to them tomorrow. With text messaging and all of the ways we have to instantly be connected to people, time and space we used to have to think, to process, doesn't really exist anymore. Well, what does that mean for us leading ourselves, leading others? What it means is now, unless we create that time and space, we don't get it. You know, we have to choose our habits consciously when it comes to engaging with digital technology. So some of the things I'm doing in the book is I'm exploring some of the things I've seen that, that really the symptoms, the, the battles that we're all facing under the surface. I call it the way of the digital warrior because I truly believe that every day from the moment we wake up, there's now this subconscious stream of battles that we're, we're all fighting against, okay? And it's things like being distracted, right? We're always getting input in. It's things like how do we build relationships? How do we communicate when there's so many different avenues of communication? So if there's just a few tidbits, this is all very early for me. I'm planning on really working um, on writing this, pulling this together. I'm very much in a research phase right now. I'm planning on writing this next year. And I want to make this international. I want to see, I'm planning on spending some time in Singapore, Kuala Lumpur, APAC region, see how they are dealing with digital technology. What are the choices they're making in their relationship? What's subconscious? What's conscious? Um, Same thing with Europe. I spent some time in France and watching how they engage. So if there's a few early tidbits I'll share is just realize that you do have a choice in time and space to make now that you didn't before. And the sooner you start making those choices consciously, the greater you're gonna see your productivity change, your engagement change, your um, resilience, your burnout change. We can't expect those choices to just um, be healthily made for us like we could in the past. No, it sure was nice having the time to think through a presentation you heard because there wasn't an instant way to debrief it or give feedback or take an action, but now there is. So the only way you're going to get that time and space is if you say, I'm going to take that time. I'm going to create an immersive environment to write a book. I'm going to go build that tent in my backyard and I'm going to enjoy it. You know, (laughs) those types of um, choices. So we've talked a lot about trends in the future of work and you certainly gave some advice on creating that immersive experience. And as we wrap things up for people listening that are trying to create that best work environment and prepare for the future of work, uh, what's one more piece of advice you would give? Maybe um, advice and, and maybe a little bit of a story. Sure. I was giving a talk on on this, this topic of digital habits recently and that uh, a real estate agent came up to me. She was in the audience and she came up to me and she was telling me how amazing it was that she had this, this app on her phone. Now she was really glad that her company had gone into this app and she gets notifications for when new properties are, are up for sale. And she said, it's awesome. You know, it really filters the lead process for her and it's really making work easier. But she said that 
it also makes it really hard for her to be away from her phone. And that there was a moment when her teenage daughter came up to her and said, you know, mom, I just feel like you're not really here anymore. And I think that was, um, you know, that was like really heartbreaking for her to hear. So my advice for people in the talent development space is really to acknowledge and recognize what digital technology is doing. It's not just a silo. It's not just a, another initiative to invest in. When we talk about digital transformation, it's not just change management. It's everyday behavior that's changing. And if you try to see it as its own separate bucket, like, okay, IT is taking care of that. You're going to miss out on bringing to bear your expertise your capability in helping organizations, people in organizations thrive. And so really that's, that's my advice is don't ignore it. Don't silo it. Don't put it in a separate box. Work with it. Take on that challenge. Yeah. You know, acknowledge what the digital technology is doing and really make space for people to step away from technology or think about doing it yourself. I'm conscious of that myself. And uh, the more and more I become conscious of it, the more I'm conscious of how addicted I am to my phone. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm just, I have to just say, I'm not trying to say technology is, is a bad thing. Right. It's just, it's a tool. Yep. And so there's, I love the realtor real estate example because it is helping her. Right. With the job. But it becomes addicting to have it on all the time and then not feel like you can be away because you might miss a new listing. There's just a different choice she needed to make there, a different boundary. Yeah, I agree. I love technology. For me, it brings people together. It allows us to connect very easily and and set up this interview. And uh, social media as well, I'm a big fan of, but I understand the the downsides and the consequences as well. And the more we have awareness around that stuff and make great choices, uh, the better life we're going to live. Uh, Crystal, thank you so much for coming on. For anybody listening who wants to connect with you, get in touch with you, what's the best place for them to do that? Find me on LinkedIn. I respond personally to anyone who reaches out to connect. Awesome. I love it. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn all day, every day. And uh, as I always say to my listeners, if you're on LinkedIn and you haven't connected with me, uh, please make sure you connect with me. Make sure you connect with Crystal. Follow both of us. I'm posting content on LinkedIn daily and love connecting with listeners. We both love to hear from you. Crystal, thank you again for coming on the podcast to talk about all the things going on with generational differences and especially the future of work. It's been enlightening for me and I think it has been for our listeners as well. So thank you again for coming on to the Talent Development Hot Seat. Thanks so much, Andy. All right, take care. If you're looking for a place to connect with colleagues and peers from your industry and find out what other people in talent development are working on, you need to check out the brand new Talent Development Think Tank membership community. Inside, we have members from companies all over the world who are working on all different things in talent development and sharing what's been working, what's been not working, and answering each other's questions so we can all get our jobs done more effectively and be more successful in our careers. If you'd like to join us, we'd love to have you. Just head on over to tdtt.us slash community, and you can use code HOTSEAT for 25% off your subscription. That's tdtt.us slash community and use code HOTSEAT for a limited time for 25% off your subscription. If you have any questions, reach out to me and let me know and we'll see you there. Thanks for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you got value out of this show, please subscribe, leave a review and share with your colleagues and friends. We want to spread the word and add as much value to the talent development community as possible. 
and we need your help. As always, you can find more information and connect with me at talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Take care.